0: Welcome to Common Ground Church Rondebosch, a community based in Cape Town, South Africa, who believe that if Jesus is who He says He is, that changes everything. Our sermon podcast aims to unpack this reality, rooted in Scripture and dependent on God's Spirit. The book of Galatians is a gospel clarifying letter that unpacks the richness and completeness of what Jesus did for us in His death and resurrection. It clearly defines what the gospel is and is not for its readers. It helps us realise the depths of God's love for us in a life of relationship and obedience to Him in His power. Please continue listening for today's message. Good evening everybody. I'm reading from the ESV, Galatians 5 verses 1 to 12. For freedom Christ has set us free. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith, working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump.
1: Well, good evening, everybody. Great to see you here. We are in the midst of a series in the book of Galatians and we've arrived at chapter five and the elders have asked me to look at this section of scripture, Galatians five verses one through 12, where um, Paul packs the issue of freedom. I wonder how the word freedom lands on you. I wonder what events come to mind when you think about the word freedom. Maybe you think about the moment when you finished your final matric examination. Maybe it was the day you finally left home. Maybe it was when you received your first paycheck. Maybe it was the first night on honeymoon. For the older ones amongst us here, maybe it was your last bond repayment or Maybe it was when the kids left home, maybe it was a walk in nature, or maybe if you're old enough here, it was the time when you were allowed to vote after years of belittling oppression. Freedom is a universal desire. Whether you are William Wallace in Braveheart declaring to the sons of Scotland that they may take our lives today, but they will never take our freedom. Or if you know Nelson Mandela writing about your long walk to freedom. All of us, whatever our backgrounds or experiences, have a inherent deep desire for freedom. And in this passage in Galatians, Paul opens up the topic of freedom, and I want to look at it under three headings. Firstly, freedom declared. Secondly, freedom defined. And then finally, freedom defended. Freedom declared, freedom defined, and freedom defended. Let's begin with freedom declared. The context here in Galatians is that uh, Paul has uh, been just, seriously alarmed that a church that had heard the incredible good news about Jesus Christ and His forgiveness and His restoration would be become diverted by those that were telling them that Jesus Christ, in fact, uh, wasn't enough to get truly right with God. Jesus is good, but He's not actually good enough. These teachers would say, if you really want to please God, if you really want to honour God, if you really want to be right with God, then you need to obey the Mosaic law. You need to obey the Torah, starting with circumcision. Jesus is helpful, but only to the degree that it gets you back to obeying the law. And Paul's point throughout this letter, and again in our passage today, is that Torah obedience, obeying the law, and the gospel are incompatible. They aren't different versions uh, of the same operating system, but they are in fact completely different operating systems. They are mutually exclusive, which is why Paul declares in Galatians 5 verse 1, "...for freedom Christ has set us free, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery." You remember the immediate context from last week when Ian spoke to us. Paul is challenging them. Do you wanna be children of slavery or do you wanna be children of the free? If you come under the law, uh, you become a slave again. Rather embrace the freedom you have in Christ. Are you a slave or are you free? Paul says emphatically, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Notice here in this opening verse in Galatians chapter 1, that Paul declares both the fact of our freedom, but also the purpose of our freedom and our required response. He communicates the fact, the purpose and our required response. Let's begin with the fact of our freedom. Notice verse 1, Christ has set us free. Friends, at the very heart of the Christian message is a declaration of freedom. Christ has set us free. The heart of the Christian message is an announcement, not advice. It is a declaration, Christ has set us free, not a do-it-yourself menu. The Christian message is first and foremost, friends, news about what God has done for us, not primarily news about how we ought to live our lives. In fact, the very word gospel means good news. Christianity is good news salvation, not good advice salvation. All other religions are about good advice, do what the prophet or the guru or the wise teacher says, not so Christianity. Christianity is an announcement about what God has already done for us. Christ has set us free. Famous, famous British preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, tells a story how uh, for people in ancient times, when a war was going on, for them to discover what was going on in the front line before the days of modern communication, it required a herald to come back from the front line to tell the people what was going on. And when a, uh, a herald came back from the front lines of the war, he would always say one of two things either we need more troops or we've won. And as Lord Jones points out every other world religion is we need more troops religion it's it's you need to do something you need to pull up your socks you need to try harder you need to sacrifice more you need to give something some effort is required on your part we need more troops only christianity is the we've won Religion, it, it declares that you are already in, you already belong, you're already included apart from your effort. Because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, if you trust His work, you in, you belong, you're adopted, you're part of the family. Friends, the heart of the Christian message is a declaration of what Jesus Christ has already done for us. Christ has set us free. But secondly, notice the purpose of our freedom. Paul goes on to say, for freedom, Christ has set us free. The, the goal of our freedom is freedom. The purpose of our freedom is freedom. And you're like, what's Paul getting at? I don't, I don't quite understand. Let, let me give you two examples about how work, how, how freedom can actually just lead to more work and not necessary freedom itself. Think about, uh, for those of you who've already matriculated, think about that final matric examination. What what a moment. You finally write your final exam. It's a huge celebration. You are free from school, right? You don't have to wear uniform anymore. You don't have to go to school. all, all All the stuff, all the paraphernalia related to school is over. You are free from school but you're not free from work, right? You're free from school, but actually if you've got a good education, that's going to mean more work, either at Varsity or in the marketplace. Your, your freedom from school doesn't mean freedom from work. Or imagine, if you will, that you decide to volunteer at a really excellent NGO that is very committed to helping foreign refugees uh, get legally registered in South Africa and you work with this NGO, and amazingly, uh, working alongside them, you are able to see five people obtain a correct visa, uh, thereby enabling them to stay legally in South Africa, and it's just a wonderful moment of celebration. And these five people are in fact so kind that they come and they, they thank you for the effort that you put in, and then they said, hey, we just wanted to ask you what's next, and so you sit down with them and you tell them, all the different uh, steps that need to take place. But part of the conversation you have with them is to tell them that one of the benefits of obtaining this visa is that they are now legally able to work. And so you, along with the NGO, is actually gonna help them uh, to find work. So in effect, what you're saying to your uh, refugee friends is, the fact is you are free to legally stay in South Africa But the purpose of that freedom is that you may be able to find legal work, and therefore the next action that is required is helping them find a job. Friends, this is different from Christian liberation. Christian liberation is the fact Christ has set us free, but what is the purpose of our freedom? Well, it is freedom itself. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom for the Christian isn't a means to an end, but it is the end in itself. For the Christian, freedom isn't the first step that leads to something, but it is in fact the final destination, which is why our required response is stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Our required action isn't to achieve anything, but rather to stand firm in what Christ has already done for us, what Christ has already won for us. Standing firm in the freedom that Christ has won and not allowing anybody to say that there are things that we need to do to earn our salvation. You see, these false teachers, these Judaizers would have come in and said, well, Christ has set you free. Great. But the purpose of that freedom is that you might obey the Torah. And so your required response is get circumcised. But Paul says the fact is it is for freedom Christ has set you free. Purpose, freedom, required response, stand firm in your freedom. So firstly, freedom declared. Secondly, freedom defined. Paul, having declared our freedom, is then very careful to define our freedom. Although we are declared free for freedom's sake, we would be mistaken to think that all religious roads lead to this freedom. Although freedom is offered free of charge, we'd be mistaken to assume that how we get there is irrelevant. What Paul has been contending for here in Galatians isn't simply the fact of our freedom but also the basis of our freedom, the the foundation of our freedom. And friends, the basis and foundation of our freedom that we find here in Galatians chapter five is Jesus plus nothing. Paul has been contending throughout this letter that salvation is only ever found and centered on Christ. To add anything to Christ is to nullify everything Christ has done for us And everything that he has won for us. In Paul's mind, there are only two options it is Christ plus nothing or not Christ at all. Those are the only two options on the table. And he's been saying this throughout the letter. In chapter one, he says if you're turning to a different gospel, it means you are turning away from grace and Christ. In chapter two, He says, if you seek in a righteousness through the law, it means Christ died for nothing. In chapter 3, to be bewitched is to ignore or reject Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And here in chapter 5, Paul presents us with two very stark options. It is either Christ or the law. To try to add the law to Christ is to profoundly and ultimately reject Christ. Notice verse 1. Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. But also notice verse 2. If you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Notice verse 4. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Can you see how Paul repeatedly pits Christ and the law against each other? To embrace the law is to reject Christ and the gospel. New Testament scholar Tom Schreiner puts it like this. He says that Christ and grace are mutually exclusive to circumcision and law keeping here. So the Galatians will either follow Christ and the gospel or accept circumcision and the law. Opposed to Christ and And grace is the law and circumcision. Those who attempt to derive their justification from the law are severed from Christ and cut off from grace. For they are attempting to accomplish their own salvation instead of trusting in the grace and mercy of Christ. Law and grace are polar opposites. The law tries to find righteousness by doing and obeying. Grace and Christ bestow righteousness as a gift. If the Galatians accept circumcision, they abandon grace and Christ. Friends, we must never try to combine the law and Christ. True freedom is only found in Christ and through the Gospel. The Christian message is that salvation is all of God and all of grace, and we must never try and smuggle anything else in. Paul succinctly summarises this in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Paul wants us to know two really big things. One, that Our salvation is all of God and all of grace. And he really wants us to know that our salvation is not from ourselves in any way, which is why, in these two verses in Ephesians chapter 2, he gives four massive hammer blows to any idea that our salvation would be from ourselves. He says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Hammer blow number one this is not from yourselves. Imagine that you came in this evening and you got a big shock because you walked into the auditorium and when you walked in, you saw that the rows were not set up as they are now, but in fact, individual desks have been set out through the whole auditorium and you're like, what's going on here? And you, we stood up and we said, hey guys, are we doing something different this evening? Everybody's gonna take an exam and there's just like a huge groan. What do you mean exams? We just finished exams. I don't wanna write another exam. So it's like, guys, can you please just sit down? We wanted to get started. You, you're gonna need to get ready. And it's just like, okay, so you sit down and then you, the piece of paper and then you, you, you turn the piece of paper over and, and to, to your relief, there's only one question. You're like, just like, what are they gonna like fill us with 50 questions? But it's like, it's like, we kind, we're we caring. We're only giving you one question. And the question is this, why should you get into heaven? Why should you get into heaven? One question, that's it. And you've got to answer the question. How are you going to answer the question? Why should you get into heaven? You're going to start, because, 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 and then the next thing you write is critical, right? Because if you go, the reason why I should get into heaven is because I was born in a Christian family. Uh, Because uh, I go to church. Uh, Because um, I recycle. Uh, Because... Because I reach my vitality goals. Ah uh, because I'm not a religious hypocrite. Ah uh. If your next word is because I, if it's I, it's an automatic fail. We don't even need to mark further. Just wrong. Because check here, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this' not of yourself. So if it's an "I, it's wrong. If it's anything that you've done, it is wrong. Because Jesus left the glories of heaven because Jesus came to earth, because Jesus lived the perfect life, because Jesus died on the cross for me, because Jesus took my sin upon Himself, because Jesus was punished on my behalf, because Jesus rose again, because Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, because Jesus is coming to get me back, to take me home because of Him. Hammer blow number one, not of yourself. Hammer blow number two, it's a gift. It's a gift. Going to heaven is not like going to the Paris Olympics next year. It is completely different. In order to get into the Paris Olympics uh, next year, you are gonna have to hit a qualifying time. We've got family friends, Sam and Colleen, whose son is a very committed swimmer. He went to the last Olympics. He's hoping to go to this Olympics. In order for, get, for him to get in, he's gotta train ridiculously hard, two swims a day, gyming session as well. He's got a gun for a time. He's gotta get the qualifying time. And then he's gotta be in the top two Uh, times for a South African in his particular discipline to get in. He's got to do an incredible amount of work. And if he does enough work, he gets rewarded with going to the Olympics. But that is not what going to heaven is like. It's not a reward for those who morally outperform others. It's not a reward for those who've made a real success of their life. We're, We're very proud at how well you've done. Congratulations, we're glad to include you in the ultimate VIP circle. Please come to eternity with God Himself. No, 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 it doesn't work like that. It is not a reward, it is a gift. It is a free gift from God. Hammer blow number three, not by works, not by works. Now that's, like some of you are like super disappointed because I know like some people in this room have got like incredible CVs, like phenomenal CVs, like incredible CVs to die for and it just, we're not even looking at your CV because it's not by works. B.B. Warfield said, there's nothing done in us or by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. There's nothing in us or done by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we're acceptable to God. So if you're like, hey, Steve, you need to check up my, we're not looking at, what do you mean you're not looking at? We are not looking at CVs because it's not by works. So if it was by works, then we really need to look at how amazing and awesome and absolutely incredible you are, but it's not by works, which is why, Charles Spurgeon said, I'd rather try and sail the Atlantic Ocean in a paper boat than get to heaven by good works. It's just ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? Get out of that paper boat. What are you doing? This is nuts. It's crazy, but I'm really impressive. But it's a paper boat. You won't get across the Atlantic Ocean. Martin Luther put it like this. The only contribution we make to our salvation is our sin that God so graciously forgives. Okay, what do I need to do? What's my contribution? What, what do I need to give? Your sin. That's your contribution. But, 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 it's your sin. There's nothing done in us or by us at any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. And you've been tracking with, with Paul here that it's not by myself, it's a gift, it's not by works, then the next hammer blow is gonna become obvious, right? So that no one can boast. If, 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 if it's not from me, if it's a gift, not a reward, if it's not by works, then obviously I'm not gonna be able to boast right. In December this year, I'm turning 50. And imagine that I have uh, like a, a moment of athletic crisis uh, in, in, in my final year in the 40s. And I say to my wife, Anna, I said, I need to prove that I'm still a gun and I've decided that I'm gonna swim from Robin Island to Moongleton Beach. I think it's gonna be awesome. And she's like, honey, I really don't think that's a good idea. You're really unfit and I'm not sure you're gonna make it. And it's like, babes, I need you to believe in me. I need you to support me. I need you to cheer me on. And the big day comes and we rock up and we're there on Robin Island and like everybody else has got um, you know, these uh, different wetsuits that they're now swimming with, and I'm like, I didn't get a wetsuit, but man, who cares? I don't need a wetsuit, I can do this, this isn't a problem, and then then I dive into the water, and it's like, I can't believe how cold this is, but you know, I'm a gun, and I'm 49, so I can, I can do this, and I push through, and I'm, I'm doing okay until until about the 10, 10 minute mark, and, and, and then, I, then I'm not only freezing, but I'm also cramping, and, and I'm not really swimming, I'm not really moving forward, many would say that I'm actually sinking now, I'm going under the water. This isn't a good look, but 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 the sea rescue guys know the deal. They know these guys who think that they're guns and aren't really guns. So they, they, they're like they like swoop in and they just like grab me from under the water and they pull me out and they put me on the rubber duck and whew. We're off to the beach, and then they take me out of the boat, and like I'm lying on the beach. I'm like, I'm like a beach whale now, and they, and they, and they get one of those really nice uh, blankets, the nice silver reflected ones that, that you kind of want, but you don't want, but they, they kind of put it over me, and they give me a hot water bottle, and I'm just like, I'm lying on Mullington Beach. I'm, I'm just kind of getting my breath back. I'm just warming up, and I'm actually amazed at how like good that blanket is, and how quick warm I get and so I actually I start to get my strength back and and, and like after a couple of minutes I kind of like bounced my feet and I go yes 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 I made it I made it I made it and like Anna pulls me aside and it's like sweetie you made it but you only made it because you were rescued <laughs> exactly right I can't boast because the sea rescue guys got me to Moulneton Beach. And friends, we can't boast in ourselves and go, yeah, man, I'm a Christian, yeah, thanks very much. I hope you really appreciate it. See how amazing I am. No, 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 you don't get it. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. If it is all of God and all of grace, we can't boast in ourselves. We can only boast in... Jesus, which is where Paul's gonna get to in Galatians 6, where he says, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like some of you come to church occasionally and it's like, why do these guys sing the whole time? It's like, what's the point? Just like, it's so unnecessary. Until you understand that it is all of God and all of Christ Christ. And there's just something in us every day that just wants to go, yay, God. Seriously incredible. It is unbelievable that we would be saved and rescued because it is a salvation that is apart from us. It is entirely God's doing. And there's something in us that really wants to celebrate that fact. So firstly, freedom declared, secondly, freedom defined, and finally, freedom defended. Because this salvation is so incredible and so amazing, it's not surprising that Paul wants to defend it. And in these passages in Galatians 5, what he does is he defends this amazing gospel, both from the external threat of the false teachers, as well as the internal threat of our disordered desires. Let's begin with the external threat. In this letter, Paul has used pretty much every tool in his leadership toolbox to guard this church from the false teachers who wanna bring this church under Torah obedience. Already in this letter, Paul has reminded the church of his God-given leadership in their life. He has reminded them of the true gospel. He has reminded them of their personal experience of Him. He has deconstructed the false teacher's deconstruction of the gospel. And here in Galatians 5, as we've seen, he warns them of the significant consequences of submitting to circumcision. But Paul isn't quite finished yet because he's got three more things that he wants to say about these external teachers in order to protect God's church. The first thing that he says is that they are not from God. Notice verse 8. This persuasion is not from Him who calls you. These teachers are not from God. They aren't called by God. They aren't commissioned by God. They aren't authorized by God and therefore ought to be avoided at all cost. Secondly, he wants to point out that they will be judged. Notice verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take another view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. What these false teachers are doing is wrong and God will bring them to account. Judgment is coming and a penalty will be paid. And then thirdly, he says, he wishes that they would go the whole way. Notice verse 12. I wish that those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. So having kind of rejected these false teachers, Paul then concludes by mocking them and saying, you know, they're calling you to actually be circumcised, but actually I wish that they would go the whole way and actually castrate themselves. I wish they would cut the whole thing off. And this is quite an outrageous thing to read, is it not? Paul's saying, it's, go, why Why stop at circumcision? Go on to castration and, and, and he's mocking them. And the question we need to ask is like, is this okay? Is, this, is it okay to do something like this? Well, well, just a couple of comments. Firstly, I think it's important to note that mockery in and of itself isn't sin. We see that God mocks people in the Psalms in Proverbs in Isaiah. God doesn't have a problem at pointing out our own human foolishness. And sometimes it is necessary for Christian teachers, leaders to engage in mockery in order to protect God's sheep like Paul does here in Galatians 5. In fact, uh, Protestant reformer Martin Luther said the following, a preacher must not only feed the sheep so as to instruct them how they are to be good Christians But he must also keep the wolves from attacking the sheep and leading them astray with false doctrine and error, for the devil is never idle. Likewise, Doug Wilson helpfully points out the following. He says, sheep are to be kind to sheep. Shepherds are to be kind to sheep. But if a shepherd is kind to wolves, that's just another way of letting them savage the sheep. Kindness to sheep is hostility to wolves. Kindness to wolves is hostility to sheep. All attempts to get wolves and sheep together in some kind of ecumenical love fest will only result in fat contented wolves. What Paul is doing here in Galatians is mocking false shepherds in order to protect the sheep. But we would be mistaken then to think, well then mockery is fair game. Uh, in the arena of uh, social media. Listen to this wise counsel from Tim Keller that my son Josh uh, showed me a while back. Tim Keller writes the following. He says, dear those on social media, God sometimes mock and some things deserve it. Yet those who habitually and consistently mock, who sit in the seat of mockers, are in great spiritual danger Mockers nurture high pride in themselves, which appears knowing and sophisticated, but ruins relationships and cuts them off from the truth that only the humble discover. To see through everything is the same as not to see. Preachers and teachers who engage in a great deal of mockery towards their opponents, instead of speaking the truth in love, often nurture an abusive spirit that brings down their own ministry in disgrace. There are many on social media whose main goal, stance and practice is to mock and deride the people whose positions they oppose. But this is spiritually dangerous for them and and it accomplishes nothing for their side. God mocks proud mockers, but shows favour to the humble and the oppressed. Love you all, Tim Keller. Friends, it is very hard for Christian leaders not to either overreach nor underreach, which is why they need your prayers. But all of us need to tread carefully in this regard. So firstly, an external threat, and then finally, an internal threat. Paul is careful not to lay the responsibility of the application of this false teacher simply on the door of the false teachers. Paul also speaks to the Galatians themselves and wants to point out that they are actually personally responsible for their own walk before the Lord. Notice verse nine. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? The NIV translates it like this. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? The the, the picture here is of The Galatian church running wild, tracking with the Lord, only to be deflected, only to be diverted away from God's plans and purposes. And Paul says, hey guys, you're not at the mercy of others. You're actually responsible for your own walk and your own race. Can I ask you this evening, how is your walk with the Lord going? Can I ask you, how is your race going? Are are, are you running unhindered or has something distracted you? Has something deflected you? Or to use the words of Hebrews 12, have you allowed some sin to easily entangle you? Friends, it is so easy for us to allow something to deflect us from the purposes of God. The thing that was deflecting the Galatian church here was a pursuit of works righteousness. But friends, there are many things that can come in the way and deflect us from God's plans and purposes in our lives. For some of you, it's pain, right? Life can be hard, and events and things can happen in our lives that really hit us for a six. And how we handle our hurt, and how we process our hurt really matters. Because it's very easy at these pain moments in our lives to charge God instead of trusting Him. And we can allow painful events to deflect the plans and purposes of God in our lives. For others, it's not pain, but disillusionment. Christians have really disappointed us. A church experience has left us feeling burnt and at the point of uh, breakdown even. Friends, how we allow the imperfections and failures of Christians to affect our walk is critical. Are the failures and imperfections of others determining our walk with the Lord, or is the triumphs and perfections of Christ moving us forward? For others of you, it's not disillusionment or pain, but rather success. You haven't heeded the warning of Deuteronomy 6. And ironically, you've allowed the very blessings from God to deflect you from God. You've allowed getting more stuff to cause you to amuse yourself to a spiritual death. For others it's not success but offense. You have been offended by a Christian brother or sister. And instead of forgiving as Christ has forgiven us, you've allowed that offense to grow. And now you've got a root of bitterness emerging that isn't just deflecting you from God's plans and purposes, but is actually beginning to defile many. And then for others of you, it's just kind of your enjoyment of sin. You, you've, you've turned the grace of God into permission to sin. You love to sin, Jesus loves to forgive. You've got a really good deal going. But friends, the freedom that Paul has in mind here in Galatians 5 is never freedom to sin, but rather a freedom to run into all that God has got for you. How's your walk going? How's your race going before the Lord? Are there things that are stopping you? Are there things that are hindering you? Friends, if you're honest enough before God this evening to say, hey man, my walk with the Lord isn't nearly where it should be. Can I encourage you that the way out this evening isn't to kind of put up your socks and try harder, determined to really press in and make it happen. But I wanna suggest to you the way to get free and to run free in a lasting way is to really come to Jesus and ask Him to fully and completely set you free. So if you're here this evening and pain has been your problem, please bring your pain to Jesus. Bring your pain to Jesus and allow Him to minister a healing balm to you. Allow Him to bring a healing to you. If you disillusion with Christians and church and Christian community, can I encourage you, bring that brokenness to Him. Jesus isn't put off by the mess. Just bring the mess to him and then just say, Jesus, can you ransom, heal, restore, forgive? Can you just put this mess back together again? You know what you're gonna find out? He is phenomenal at doing that. He's phenomenal at taking things that are broken and restoring them. Friends, if you're bitter this evening, Can you bring the bitter pool of your life to Jesus? And can you ask him to throw the stick into your water, the stick of his cross, that is the only thing that is able to absorb the bitterness and turn it into sweet water? Christ's finished work on the cross, the only pure person who's ever walked, The only ultimate act of injustice was done for you so that your bitterness can be turned into sweet water. And then if you're here this evening and you're just, you're just going back to that wall of sin, can I invite you to present yourself before Jesus? And can you just do 1 John 1? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus doesn't just want to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you. He wants to clean you. He wants to restore you. He wants to say over you, those whom the Son sets free are free indeed. The way to freedom isn't through self effort. The way to freedom is by coming to Jesus and bringing your brokenness and asking him to minister to you right where you are. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I wanna thank you for each and every person in this room. I thank you that you love them with an everlasting love. Lord, I thank you that you have gone to extraordinary lengths in order to save and rescue them. Lord, I thank you that your body was broken, that your blood was shed, that we might be saved and rescued. And it was for freedom that you came to set us free that we would never again be yoked to slavery. So I pray for every person in this room, Lord, I pray that you would come to them and that you would minister to them. And wherever they need you to touch them, Lord, I pray that you would do that. Just just quietly, just in your heart. If you need healing, if you need restoring, if you need Jesus to deal with bitterness, or a pattern of persistent sin. Can you just say, Jesus help. He is the rescuer. He is the one who can forgive. He is the one that can deliver. He is the one who can restore. He is the one that can forgive and cleanse. And so Lord, I pray for the reality of your goodness and the reality of your grace and the reality of your love to wash over us.